Welcome to the Captain's Table, where we discuss the stories that have shaped Star Trek in words. My name's Michael, and joining me as always is my wonderful friend and co-host, Roz. Hi, Roz. Hi, Michael. How are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm really good. It, it's, it's nice to be together again, recording another show. It is. It is. Um, hopefully it will not be another year before we can be physically together recording a show again, um, because we're already long overdue for a visit. But such is life at the moment. We rely on the wonders of Zoom. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Zoom has certainly uh, changed everything in the world. But um, I can't believe we're already a quarter of the way through the year. This this year is just going as quickly as last year did. When can you miss it? That's pretty yeah. much the way that life goes at the moment. <laughs> so we've got to take, take the time to slow down and enjoy the little things like really good Star Trek books. Definitely. I, I love that segue. <laughs> I, 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 I come up with them every so often. <laughs> uh, though it's true, we, we've got a great one to talk about today. We're going to be talking about Greg Cox's uh, Contest of Principles, which I think was um, one of our favourite books of last year. Yeah, this was my favourite book of 2020, um, as voted in our end of year show. And um, I stand by that. It was a really good uh, story and I'm looking forward to discussing it in a little bit more depth today. Oh, definitely. I, it wasn't my top book of um, 2020, but it was certainly uh, in the top three. It, it was really, really good. So, And obviously, listeners, if you haven't, if you haven't um, listened to our end of year show, it's, it's definitely worth listening to. And I think I said the word listen about three times there, but that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I think the end of the year show was good because we, um, you, Feeve and I were all on it and we all had quite different perspectives on what we had, what had really appealed to us from throughout the year. So it was, it was, it was an eclectic mix, um, but I think that makes it more interesting. It, it would be dull if we all just had the same opinions on everything. <laughs> Oh no, definitely, and and I don't think we've had a book yet where we've completely all all disagreed on it, whether it be good, bad, or or just the content. So uh, that will be interesting when that point comes along. Yeah, but we did all agree that this was that Contest of Principles was a really excellent book, and even though I don't think you and Feev picked it as your very top choice of twenty twenty, I think it was both of your second choices wasn't it it was really it, it was really high up the ranking for last year it, it definitely was and and i think uh, you know going straight in, in into talking about the book um this book i think was i would say the surprise hit of the year for me yeah i mean honestly it, it sounds bad i don't mean it to sound bad i wasn't expecting a lot from this book <laughs> and i don't that is absolutely no reflection on greg cox writing or anything because he's a fantastic novelist and i always enjoy his work but i mean from the point of view in that it was a tos story and tos is not that it's my least favorite but i didn't grow up with tos it was before my time so although i like it i've watched it it's not the star trek that i'm most familiar with um it's probably the star trek that i am least familiar with in terms of like my overall knowledge um so sometimes although i enjoy tos stories sometimes i just don't get a whole lot out of them because you know, I don't I didn't have to go back and rewatch everything before I got all the references. <laughs> um, so I think there's probably quite a lot in TOS stories usually that goes over my, my head. Uh, and also sometimes some TOS stories, just because of the style of the 
of the show as it was can be a bit um, almost kind of over the top, you know, in the way that it used to be a bit kind of melodramatic or a bit dated feeling. But this was really true to TOS, but it brought it into a, a more modern style of storytelling, which I really enjoyed that combination. No, no, I agree. And, and I, I, you know, I've read a lot of TOS stories over the years and they, they you know, all stories have a certain formula, but I, I would say TOS novels definitely do, especially with regards to um, the triangle of Kirk, Spock and McCoy, which I'm sure we're going to talk about yeah. with this story. And it was just really, really different. And as soon as I started reading it, I thought, oh, this is, this is good. And then by the end of it, it was like, I'm so glad I read this story. So it was really, really interesting in that sense. Yeah, so I think I think everything from like the cover, which was very, um, you know, it was a photographic cover rather than like a, a illustrated cover. So it's got the photos of Kirk and Spock and McCoy. It's quite brightly colored. I liked it. I like it. I personally it kind of appealed to me, but it did very much scream TOS episode. <laughs> uh, so it was it was quite refreshing to then read an extremely well written, excellently paced, interesting, insightful, and often quite funny story <laughs> it, <laughs> within within that cover, which was great. Um, and again, I'm not saying anything disparaging about TOS as it is, because I know for a lot of people who grew up with it, that's their Star Trek. Um, but for me, yeah, just having not been not been part of that time, I think often I kind of look back on it and I just see it through the lens of, mm, yeah, it was a bit of its time and the women swooned and the men posed, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and the dialogue was a bit choppy at times. Yeah. But there's, there's, there was no choppy dialogue in this story. Oh no, certainly, and and, and as we know, um, very much so, the TV series was very centered on. On, on the three main stars. So the secondary characters didn't get their, their due. And then over the years, the, the stories have, have progressed, the novels have progressed and everybody's been able to shine. And I think in this book, it's, it's almost a peak um, because everybody has something to do, but it's not, we're just giving them something to do for the sake of it. It, it, it obviously um, all part of the story and, and it works really well. Yeah, and I think you, you've mentioned the, the triangle a few times of Kirk, Spock and McCoy, and in so many TOS episodes, so much of the, the plot and the dialogue focused, centered around the three of them all bouncing off each other and all being on away missions or whatever. And the really interesting thing about this book was although it's focused on those three characters to a great extent, it actually splits them up. So they're all they're all separated in their own storyline. So they're, although you you have the three of them, they're not together, they're not bouncing off of each other for most of the book. And so they get to then expand and interact with other characters and um, other crew members get the chance to shine and be part of the, you know, the problem solving and the finding a solution. Um, and they also, each character just gets to stand on their own merits a bit more than just being there to bounce dialogue off of, you know, one of the others. So it was really, it was an interesting choice by Greg uh, to 
to split them up and have actually the three the three kind of main trio characters completely apart for the whole like for the majority of this book no i i thought that was really good and again it's something greg cox likes to do because he did that in his previous um TOS story, the the Antares Maelstrom. He he did the same there. And when we spoke to him, he he just felt it was a, a good plot device. And 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 again, it's something different, which you don't often see with TOS stories. And and again, in 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 this story, I think, um, in my opinion, two of the characters have really grown, and you can see that um, from where they were at the beginning of of Star Trek the series and where they are now. So for example, Kirk, um, I think within the story, he, he's certainly more seasoned because this is set in the last year of the five-year mission. And he, he has a more balanced approach to command where perhaps he would rush off uh, to save everybody. Here he can't and he has to think and stop and say, no, I can't rush off to save Spock or McCoy. I have to stay here and, and do my duty. I don't know if you found that. Yeah, he was definitely, um, he, he's really toned down, or Greg toned down, um, the, the brash, all-in, look-before-you-leap cowboy sort of attitude that Kirk often had in this in the series. And um, I think you're right, this is more towards kind of movie era um, Kirk, where he's he's got a little bit more about him, he's been, as you say, seasoned, he's more mature, he's got more experience, and he really he really shines in this book in terms of making the, the right calls, the right command calls in delegating, even when it's really difficult, even when it goes against every fiber of your being and it's your friends and you wanna get stuck in there and run off and help, he makes the right calls because he knows where his duty lies and he can also see the bigger picture, which I think is probably, the main difference is that he's really considering the bigger picture of what is at stake other than what's immediately in front of him in terms of you know McCoy um, McCoy's life. He can see that the having the successful democratic election happen on uh, Vox is going to have far-reaching implications for the like for the whole population, and he can't put that on the line and shirk that responsibility just because his friend's in trouble. So he makes the right call in dispatching Spock to do the whole rescue mission. And uh, yeah, I think that you're right. That was, it showed a lot of growth on Kirk's part. And, and likewise with, with, with Spock, we see um, a very different Spock here because he, he's embracing everything he's learned from, from Kirk, such as using intuition, uh, going with his gut, so to speak, and and it's almost like what would Jim do here, um, and and he, and he's really grown himself in, in into command, even though it's something he says he's never wanted. Yeah, Spock comes across really well in this story, and I think um, you can see he's come a long way from the the sort of Galileo seven sort of decisions uh, because he when he's faced with issues of his crew being in peril or when he's faced with issues of weighing up um, you know, one course of action against the other, he is making 
the slightly more human choices now and not necessarily human not necessarily based in emotion but just not looking at it from a purely logical point of view and understanding that there are other things that have to be considered other than just what is purely the logical course of action um but Spock being Spock he still does uh he still does fall back on the logic uh quite a bit but he's actually I found that there were a few times where he was quite funny in this book um (laughs) and and not even not even necessarily that the character of Spock was trying to be intentionally funny but in that he's just such a good straight man and he can really deliver a line (laughs) and because he was um because he was alongside very emotional characters like Chapel, uh, it was, they just bounced off each other really well. And some of the dialogue was very witty and I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think Greg Cox does understated wit very well. Um, none of, none of, the, none of the, the, the kind of funny bits are really set up to be jokes or like really like over the top delivered funny lines, but it's just, the way that they're delivered and because of who's state you know saying them at any given time it just comes across you read it and it just makes you laugh because you can hear them saying it <laughs> and um so i i think that that's one of the things greg cox did really well was balancing out the action and the kind of light-hearted humor in this book yeah it was certainly at the right times to humor it, it, it wasn't inappropriate and and it, and, it, and it obviously made sense within the story. It, it wasn't shoehorned in there. Yeah. And and I think what, what was interesting to me, and, and I've put in my notes, is that out of the story, the character that almost hadn't grown the most, but was exactly the same, and not in a bad way, was McCoy. He, he felt he was exactly the McCoy we know. Yes. Well, McCoy is just perfect as he is. Yeah. He? He's just the perfect curmudgeon. Um, but I like the I like the fact that you get to you always get to see the two sides of McCoy. He's so grumpy and he so doesn't suffer fools gladly and he just harumphs at everything. But you always get that glimpse of the fact that it's all underpinned by this incredibly deep compassion for everyone around him and that he just wants to help and he just wants to you know, be the best healer and have peace and all the rest of it but he just kind of wants people to just be less annoying as they go about it yeah. <laughs> um, but he was he was in good form in this book uh, he had a lot of good characters to play off of as well i liked um rumry rumry yeah rumry yeah, uh, the, the healer on ozlor um who is described beautifully and narrated fantastically by Robert Pickhoff is this very over-the-top, almost thespian-like character um, who's very, oh, I have only ever wondered what's best for you, Majesty. <laughs> and he just, you can just hear him rolling his eyes every time she speaks. Um, and he just, he just thinks she's a complete charlatan, which of course to a great extent she is she turns out to be um but i just he just plays off her so beautifully <laughs> she was certainly written as in you don't like her um oh yeah and she frustrates you i think it's more frustration every time um i enjoy the interplay between the two but you just got frustrated with her because you just you just wanted her to be you know the deception to be uncovered quickly and um 
because you're getting so frustrated because each time she was able to manipulate the situation. Yeah, that that's the thing. The reason that she's so unlikable is because you know from the very first time that you meet her that she is very manipulative and that she completely has her own agenda. Um, and it, you know, and it's all about her. It's not about being a healer in the way that McCoy is a healer, where he would put himself on the line for his patient every time. With this woman is 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 very trying to turn all the circumstances to her own um, benefit. And um, and yeah, you just you just want to just it's almost like pantomime. You just want to scream at the at the, <laughs> the, the screen like, "Ooh, hiss!" She's behind yeah. you. Um, because she's almost got that kind of pantomime villain thing going on, uh, especially the way Robert Petkoff read her in the audiobook. He really, he really gave her a very gutsy, over-the-top kind of panto villain voice uh, and and delivery of her lines, and it was just great. It was she was so, it was a, a love to hate sort of character. She was very um she was very appealing as a villain. <laughs> I, I think Robert must have had a lot of fun with that character. You can just tell. Yeah, yeah. And, and you can totally picture her as well, the way that she's described. And then the way that she's described and the way that he plays her, it, it totally matches up. You know, the bald, the bald head and the kind of long robes and, and the tattoos. And you can, you can just picture her in your head as this kind of big, imposing, um, you know, broad sort of a woman <laughs> very you know walk into a room and makes her presence known uh yeah i i really liked Roma. she was a very good character um and uh and oh you know as i said really good uh for mccoy to bounce off of i think going back to what we said where the the three main characters are separated um each of them have their own own different stories with within the overall plot of the the book and uh, it's good that we speak about Vogue first because what was really interesting was that the book came out um, just as the presidential elections were taking place in, in the US and you couldn't help but see similarities between what Greg had written and what was happening in the US. Yeah, poor Greg. Um, it was, I can't remember how he put it, but it was like the most... Um, Actually, accurate coincidence ever <laughs> because, <laughs> because didn't he said he wrote this like two years before that was all happening That's um, right. and you could not have forecast it you know you just absolutely couldn't have forecast but there's so much that just tied in with current events at the time that, that we were reading the book it was insanely similar to what was going on in real life <laughs> even though it had been written so long before this um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, that I think the timing of when it came out and what was going on in real life, um, whether people mistakenly think that it was based on what was going on in the real world, it, it made it very uh, relatable because you 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 saw it mirrored in, in what was happening in the States at the time um, with people trying to yeah, overthrow a democracy democratic system um, and not not have the elections go ahead and try to foil you know the counting of the votes and all this sort of <laughs> stuff so it was uh, yeah it was incredibly um, accurate coincidence <laughs> that ended up happening but it was yeah it just it just shows you know sometimes life mimic art. 
<laughs> well, it, well, in this case, it's Kirk who has to deal with um, all, all the elections on, on Vogue and he has to deal with um, conspiracies, assassinations and um, quite the mystery for him to solve, really. Yeah, I think it also pushes Kirk's uh, diplomacy to the limits as well, because Kirk is not, I, I never think of Kirk as a diplomatic captain. That to me is Picard to a great extent, Cisco, Janeway, that sort of thing. But Kirk is all, has always struck me as a kind of shoot first, ask questions later sort of a captain, uh, much more likely to get into a, a fight than, uh, than somebody like Picard. But to his credit, he really, he really stretches his diplomatic muscles here and tries to keep things from overheating. Um, and, and he actually does a really good job in trying to get to the bottom of it and not inflame the situation, which I think previously Kirk would have just inflamed the situation. But as we said, he's a bit more seasoned here, he's a bit more mature, and he knows when to bite his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> Well, one of the characters I enjoyed on, on, on this part of the story was um, General Gok, the, the opposition leader, um, or the ruling leader at this point, isn't it? Because um, it's the, the military that are in government at the time. Yeah, it's been, it's been a military state and this yeah. is their first attempt at diplomatic, uh, uh, sorry, democratic elections. That's um, right. And, and he's running for president. And um, I found he was quite a good foil for Kirk. Yeah, and I like, um, <clears throat> excuse me, I like the fact that he, you're never quite sure if he is a bad guy or not until quite far into the book, because it really looks like he could be trying just as hard as anybody to overthrow this election um, and get it, you know, get the military staying in power and get this whole democratic thing. Oh, that's just a bad idea. Uh, but he he's also got a lot of very good and honourable qualities, and I think I think the reason that he and um, he and Kirk can go toe to toe and not take it over the line is that they both respect each other as soldiers and can see the kind of the honour in each other um, in their in their own uh, their own attitudes. So it's it, yeah, they they work really well with each other, and I think it's one of those ones where probably in other circumstances they could be you know they could have been friends they could have got on quite well because they're they've got a lot in common but um but in this situation obviously Kirk's first duty has to be to making sure that the elections happen um, and that nobody's interfering so well as we discover and not giving too much away um I would say Gok is most probably the one with with, with who's the most honorable out of the 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 leaders really isn't it in terms of those going for election which we discover yeah yeah there's a there's a, a kind of a bit of out of left field revelations uh, that, that happen which is always good in a book you want a few twists you want a few twists and turns um but i also i also enjoy the way that they resolved it um in that the actions of one kind of desperate individual didn't they, they could see a way to not um derail the whole system but to find a way to still allow a democratic process to take place, but not um, not necessarily the, with the parties that they originally envisaged. So, um, yeah, I'm trying not to give away the whole, <laughs> whole story yeah. here, but uh, but I like the way that that was done. I like the way that that was done. 
I, I always enjoy sort of political stories and, and certainly those within Star Trek and, and, and as well as just being political, this side of the story, um, Greg just manages to throw so much in. As I say, there, there's assassination attempts, there's almost um, explosive results towards the, the end of this sort of part of the story. And um, there's just so much for Kirk to, to sort through. And, and it's good that some of the supporting cast um, are, get more involved here, like Sulu and, and Uhura. Yeah, and I think, I, I mean, I've said this on other shows before, I always enjoy a TOS book or story where they give the female characters a brain <laughs> um, and some guts and make them actual useful members of the crew because so often in um, in TOS the, the women were just there to to swoon in the presence <laughs> of the men uh, or to or to shriek when something hit the fan. I'm always screaming at the screen for God's sake women you are a Starfleet officer you went to the academy the same as the rest of them pull yourself together. Um, but obviously it was it was of its time and that was not how women were portrayed. Uh, but I like in the books the fact, especially the fact that Chapel is not um, all over in love with uh, Spock in this book. So having got over her goo-goo eyes, she is able to offer actual help <laughs> yeah. on, on this mission. And she's, you know, she's got a bit of gumption about her and she shows bravery and she shows... Um, compassion and she shows intelligence and um, I always think that that's great when the female characters from TOS get a chance to shine and actually be a real like, contributing part of the mission so I enjoyed that I like I like the way the chapel was portrayed in this because in, in the, the um, in the tv show rather she was always a bit a bit simpering a bit wishy-washy yeah. She was the sort of yes doctor, no doctor, and oh, Mr. Spock. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and that just, you know, as a, as a woman, it, it curls my toes a wee bit. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I was really pleased that when, when, I, when, I was, how, when I was reading the story and um, Chapel was going with Spock, I was hoping that there wouldn't be a, that sort of romantic side to it all. Um, unfortunately, Greg didn't give us that. And again, um, as you say, Chapel's mature too. And that brings us to sort of Spock's arc and um, Spock and Chapel with some security uh, officers are dispatched to try and find Dr. McCoy who's been kidnapped and, and Spock ends up getting into all sorts of trouble. Yeah, I like the fact that he has to um, bend the rules a bit here <laughs> and kind of outsmart the local constabulary and stuff uh, in order to be able to further his mission because they're very, they're, the local uh, security force are being very obstructive because they have completely fixated on this terrorist group um, and are completely convinced that they're responsible even though there's no evidence pointing to them whatsoever but they just have that inherent prejudice against them and it, it explores because um then spock and chapel and whatnot end up getting sort of swept up with the terrorist group and you get that dual perspective of well one person's terrorist is another person's freedom fighter and uh, and so you get to see both sides of it you know you get to see it from the side of the state and you get to see it from the side of these people who feel that they are fighting for their home and their history. And um, and so, you know, you can't just have this black and white view of the, of the world. You've got to understand all of the the, the intricacies of, of what people are fighting for. Um, 
but yeah it was uh I, I like that I felt that some of if the only thing that I would say is I felt that some of the the Spock storyline I really want another story to get into, to get more answers about it because it, they, they, they find out about some of the history of the planet and about um, you know the interesting things to do with the some of the um, sort of na native uh, animal species that they find and them having this copper-based blood very much like Vulcans and that there's this old technology that's not what they would have expected to have been around on the, that planet and and it that is never really brought to anything and um I, I was like no I want a whole I want a whole other book to find out like what what went on and why that's there and um so it was really it was it was fun and it was interesting and it was very um actiony and uh, there was a lot of you know having to fix the machine at the 11th hour or else yeah. you know if we if we don't get this up and running we're all going to be dead in five minutes sort of thing and it was yeah that was a that was all very um kind of classic TUS fun you know I've got to fix this thing with a hairpin and a <laughs> what a bubble gum <laughs> uh, or else we're all we're not we're all toast uh, so that was very good but yeah there was just some stuff that was left kind of unanswered for me and I thought oh I really hope that this goes somewhere eventually like can we have another uh, can we have another book that's based on like Breco or wherever and uh, and find out what this was all in relation to no, I, I agree. And, and I think when we, we were talking to Greg, we, we said that um, in some ways, each of these subplots could have made its own novel, really. Oh, there yeah. was a there was enough there to, to give us three stories. And and again, credit to, to Greg, because he's, he's managed to balance all, all three um, subplots and um, everybody get, gets the balance and and, and it, it's a really well-written story in that effect that it's not too heavy on one side and and it, and it does feel good as you're, you're, you're reading the story. Yeah I think the balance was really good and that sometimes when you've got a story that's set in multiple different places or or worse sometimes set in multiple different times as well it can be a bit jarring going back and forward and you lose track a bit but this was all done really smoothly um you jump between each of the three uh plots they all get kind of equal screen time as it were uh and they all balance out really well you know one's quite political one's very uh action kind of action drama and the other one's uh almost uh like a mystery uh the mccoy one's kind of a bit of a, a bit of a mystery medical mystery so yeah they all um they all balance out really well and, and complement each other and um I, I like i think that then when they start to come together and cross over uh it's nice to to have those moments where you you've got you know uh spock reunited with mccoy and and Kirk. <laughs> I, I think on Breco, what, what I enjoyed was, um, especially when, they're, when they're, they're in the hotel and basically they're prisoners in the hotel, the, the local constabulary said, you can't leave the hotel, we'll look for your Dr. McCoy. And the lengths they go to to get out the hotel and it's all cloak and dagger and, and they meet up with this reporter, uh, which again sounds all like the president's men with deep throat and everything else. And they're meeting at see in the spa, wasn't it? I think, or, or they met in the spa or something. And it, it just felt really good. And, and again, it's so different for what we normally see Spock do. 
So it was good to take him out of his comfort zone, put him somewhere else. And then, as we mentioned earlier, to see him using everything he's he's learned from um, from Jim Kirk. So I, I really like those parts of the story. Yeah, I think um, as I think we said at the beginning, like all all of the three main characters really got their chance to shine in this book and, and to show how far they've come and everything that has helped them develop over their five year mission. Um, yeah, kind of Kirk's matured, um, Spock's honed it down a bit and, and worked out how to balance the emotional side and the logical side a little bit better. And um, McCoy's McCoy, but he's, if anything, just more compassionate and wanting to, to help just because he's seen more of the galaxy now. <laughs> I, I enjoyed the, um, within the Spock, uh, Spock part, I enjoyed the little Easter egg um, linking to Discovery where Spock mentions it once he had a beard <laughs> it was not yeah. universally well received. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I got it, but I totally, as I was listening to it, because it's quite a throwaway line, as I was listening to it, I did not make the link to Discovery in my head. Because when I think Spock with a beard, I think um, Mirror Universe, dodgy goatee Spock. But when we were doing the interview with Greg and you mentioned, you both mentioned that, that it was like, I, and I suddenly got it. I was like, oh my God, that's brilliant. I totally hadn't occurred to me <laughs> that it was like a nod to uh, the uh, Peck uh, iteration of Spock. I, I think what I, what I love with the authors at the moment is that they're, they're all throwing little discovery Easter eggs in. And um, it's really good because one, it's great for 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 us who enjoys little Easter eggs, and 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 I think deep down there's a there's a little dig at these people that perhaps don't think Discovery is Star Trek, and um, I, I think they do it to wind them up sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they're like like I'm going, we're going to more strongly tie it into the continuity, <laughs> just so you can't say that it's not uh, it's not real real Star Trek. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's good. It's a bit of fun. It's a bit of fun. <laughs> and, and and for McCoy, he he's on the planet Ozalor, and he's been he went for a, a mission of mercy, and he gets kidnapped. Um, McCoy gets kidnapped, and he ends up on the planet Ozalor, and he finds himself in um, the royal palace, and certainly in in a contest of wills, almost as we say, contest of principles, and. Um, it's, it's like what you said earlier, it's such a very Shakespearean tale, this part of the story, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's a bit Shakespearean drama and, and kind of cloak and dagger mystery. And um, yeah, he, he's been tasked with um, helping the, I can't remember her, her more complicated title, but basically the princess, um, the, the heir to the throne, uh, who is, is, has been in a very, frail state suffering a lot of pain and and the only person who's ever been able to help her is this very dodgy figure of, <laughs> of Romney um who McCoy just doesn't trust as far as he could chuck her from the very first moment and and just feels that there's got to be a reason why she is not getting any better um and why she's still in the state because he, you know, his science is telling him she shouldn't be in pain like this. She shouldn't be having these problems. And I, you know, what what I've I've given her should be fixing it all, but it but it's not. 
and so he he then has even greater suspicions that there's something more sinister going on um, that's keeping this poor woman in a in a very fragile and uh, sort of submissive state and uh, yeah I, I mean McCoy being McCoy is like a dog with a bone even when it comes to um, even when it comes to a choice between his freedom and not being held hostage by these people anymore and helping this woman he still wants to to help you know over and above gaining his freedom he wants to work out partly because he is a compassionate healer and also I think partly because of the type of man that he is he's like I will solve this problem I will not let this problem beat me I can find a solution to this so uh so again dog with a pony just doesn't want to let it go I think, again, going back to beards in, 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 in this for McCoy, he, he's disguised, he has to wear a beard. And, and again, he's moaning about that and he, he doesn't want to wear a beard. And, and I just laughed at that again, because as we know, a couple of years later, when he leaves Starfleet and we see him again in the motion picture, at the start, he's wearing, he's got this really long beard and, and he likes it. And I just thought that was a nice little touch too. Oh, I'm never gonna, I don't, I hate beards. <laughs> Yeah, I also I also like the idea that you know when you go to another planet, there are there are going to be some cultural things that are different. Like everything's not going to be just a kind of slightly different version of Earth. Um, so like on Ozalor, all the men have facial hair, and that's just part of their their culture is that all the men have facial hair. And McCoy was going to stick out like a sore thumb, being clean shaven as he usually is, to get to whack this fake beard on him which he just complains about just being so itchy <laughs> and you can just see him kind of like scratching at his face all the time <laughs> um and just making him even more grumpy and curmudgeonly because he's um he's just uncomfortable and hot and itchy and he's got the stuff stuck to his face and it's just getting in the way and <laughs> ah, i love it no i i enjoyed this part of the story especially um the the his attempted escape because like you said earlier um with Romri and and it's like a pantomime when you just want to scream and say she's behind you it's with the escape you just knew that there was something not right about this who's helping him why are they helping him and it it all seemed too easy and you just want to shout at the book and say don't be silly there's something wrong here Yeah, yeah. If it seems too good to, good to be true, it probably is, um, <laughs> uh, as we find. And then if somebody who's too eager to help you um, must be looked on with suspicion. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's just such a bizarre escape plan, like a, a sort of bizarre plan that they have to try and get rid of McCoy. It's like, surely there are easier ways than <laughs> trying to stage this weird death escape plot with dodgy anti-grab boots <laughs> it's just like yeah. come on come on guys who thought this up <laughs> yeah. I, I think greg had been watching some mission impossible at that point <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but i do i do like when you get you know moments like that with the bat with the kind of classic stupid bad guys like yeah. trying to be too clever for their own good and actually just making a complete hash of it <laughs> So yeah, that was uh, that was good. So when you, when you were um, listening to the story, um, did you find there there was a particular um, arc that you couldn't wait to get to? 
So for me, it, it was the, the, the Spock so to speak. Um, I couldn't wait to get to the next chapter to see what was happening with Spock. Did you have that with anyone? Yeah, I think probably if I had to pick my favourite of the three storylines, it was the McCoy one, um, just because I wanted, I like, I was so sure that I, that I, that, you know, uh, Rummery was dodgy and it, I couldn't work out how, <laughs> like what she was doing. Um, and so I, I, I liked how that, plus I just love McCoy as a character. He's just so wonderfully grumpy. Um, and he, you know, bouncing off of his bodyguards, uh, his sort of highly trained assassiny bodyguard lady um, who was just so sure that she could take him and he was sure that she could take him as well so they, they just didn't they just didn't bother trying to get on each other's wrong side yeah. <laughs> um, and they were both quite uh dry acerbic sort of people so their diet their interplay was very was very good because they were just so um both so uh kind of sharp with each other uh even though you could see that underneath they were both actually very good people um, but they just both have have this facade of of being a bit kind of grumpy and um, unfriendly. Uh, so they that was good. But I yeah I just wanted I always liked getting back to the McCoy ones. One because it, I think there was quite a lot of funny lines in his um, his story. But also because I just wanted to really see how it was going to play out. Uh, because I like that kind of you know m medical mystery sort of drama. Yeah, it's true. We had, as you say, we had the, the medical mystery in there too. So, so much going on in, the, in this story, just, just from start to finish. So many subplots and twists and turns on, e on each of the, the characters' stories, individual stories. And then bringing it together, um, Greg did a great job. Yeah, it was beautifully written. Um, it was extremely well paced I really don't think there were any lulls in any of the stories you know sometimes you get a bit of dead dead air or um you know necessary exposition or whatever that can kind of drag the the pacing of a book down a bit but there wasn't any of that it flowed really well from one story to the next and they all got um really kind of good beginning middle and end uh you know plotting and I think it, the end everything came together really well um it was all it was all all three story plot threads came together and were tied up really well to make one cohesive book and yeah i, I really i really enjoyed it i would love more more stories like this from greg maybe some more tos where it's kind of this format you know where there's maybe like three different plots going on and you get to see, you know a lot more of the character the sub characters get their chance to have the spotlight and yeah I really enjoyed it it was just there's definitely a reason that it was my favorite book of 2020 I just think everything about this book was a fun TOS classic Star Trek romp from start to finish it had a bit of everything and it was really well written and it had a lot of action but it wasn't too kind of grim or serious it had a lot of light-hearted elements to it in the same way that a lot of the you know um kind of earlier TOS and TNG um and even D DS9 to a point they they balanced out really well where they had the the action and the drama but they always had some sort of light-hearted b-plot to kind of help balance it out so it didn't get too grim and um I, yeah I like that <laughs> I like that in this book now, uh, I'm the same, and what was interesting was that towards the end, there was just this throwaway line um, 
Commissioner O'Dare, who, who's the Federation um, diplomat there to help oversee the elections, she's talking to um, Starfleet Command and one of the admirals, and, and they get into this conversation about Kirk and his, his leadership style and how he handled it. And it was really weird because it was like, well, it was almost, you could say that it was almost unnecessary. So that's what had me thinking that perhaps there's certainly going to be some follow up and perhaps hopefully Greg's going to write, you know, the, the last story of the five year mission. I know there's been quite a few versions of that, but perhaps he's going to get the opportunity to do it too with that step to, to Admiral. But it, it just seemed a bit odd there. But then you're thinking, oh, well, if there's going to be another story, perhaps not with these segments, but a, a continuation of this theme of Kirk becoming an Admiral, it would make sense. Yeah, but I, I also feel that there could be a really good direct sequel to this story. And yeah, it maybe wouldn't be based around, uh, you know, the Enterprise, because they they probably wouldn't be the ones that hung about as things progress. But it could be, you could totally have a follow up story to this with maybe like another, you know, based around another diplomatic ship or, or, or whatever that stays in the in the sector in order to help with the fallout from it because you you've got on Vok you've got a planet which has now had its first successful democratic election it's got a new format of gov government and they are going to have the you know the, the, you could have a whole story about how they adapt to this new way of government and how that you know all comes to, to be and how uh, if there's you know any pushback from the military factions if there's any uh, you know disruption to within the pop the general populace with you know a whole new way of life uh, you've got the stuff from um Braco you've got all the stuff that was discovered when Spock was you know when they were trying to get away when they went in the bunker all those things that were discovered that we that weren't really expanded on you know, that goes into a whole load of the history of the the sector and turning people's uh, preconceived views like on their head and that could have far-reaching implications for how everybody like everybody across the three planets thinks about the history of their sector and a lot of their detailed beliefs and then on Ozalor um you've got you know Rumry has has kind of left on a you've not seen the last of yeah. me sort of <laughs> note <laughs> uh, so you could totally have a follow-up with her which would be amazing because she's such yeah. a good character um with another, you know, maybe a, a an attempt on the 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 sovereign or something like that. You know, that would, you know, so you could totally have a direct. I can see exactly how you could have a direct sequel to this book, maybe based around a different um, set of Starfleet, you know, ships or whatever. But I think the story is there. I would love to see it. I would love to see <laughs> another another follow up to this because I just think there's so much more that we can do. <laughs> I think we're, we'll have to petition Greg now to 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 get to make it happen. Yeah, Greg, just just for me, even if you don't publish it, just for me, yeah. write like write an outline of what happens afterwards because yeah. I want to know. <laughs> I want to oh, know what brilliant. happens. <laughs> oh no, I, I think the listeners can tell though that we we both love this book and and it's something we definitely recommend. Oh yeah, yeah. I think anybody who's a fan of TOS, and even even people who are like me who like TOS isn't really their th as much their thing. Um, you get a lot out of it, and it's just it's just a really well written story. It's fun. It's got it's really dynamic. It's got great 
dialogue um it just it's yeah it's just great and if you are going to listen to the audiobook i mean i always love what robert petkoff does but he just there was so much for him to get his teeth into yes. on this book and i just love the way that he portrays the characters here um and he i think he does an especially good mccoy he, yeah. captures, he really captures the grumpiness yeah. <laughs> which i love <laughs> No, I think next time we speak to Robert, we'll have to ask him about this book, because as I said earlier, it just sounded like he was having so much fun with this book. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So, no, highly recommend this one. I think um, I think if you're looking for a good kind of standalone book that's just uh, not too serious, um, good fun, and just got all the kind of traditional Star Trek tropes, then yeah, this is a good one to, to reach for. Um, it'll make you smile. It'll, it'll totally make you smile. Definitely couldn't agree more. So, Ros, I don't know what else we can say about Contest of Principles, apart from how much we, we love it and we recommend it. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's it, listeners. If you if you fancy a good book, uh, Contest of Principles can't go wrong. <laughs> and um, our next review will be coming up soon. I think we're going to be looking at the Enterprise War soon, Roz which is one of your favourites. Yeah, that'll be that'll be one for the listeners to look out for coming up. Um, that was, uh, was it end of 2019? That's that right. That came out. So it's a slightly older, but not one that we've touched on yet. And uh, yeah, really, really good story. So looking forward to talking about that. Um, and also, if you've not listened to it yet, um, listeners, then we also spoke to Greg Cox about this book, Contest of Principles. So if you want to hear about uh, the writing process, how he came up with the story, um, his views on uh, how it all came together, then do uh, do tune into that as well, because it's uh, always great to hear it from the author's own, own lips. No, definitely. But for this show, that's it for now. And as always, thanks for listening. And don't forget to turn the page for our next adventure. <laughs>